All right. Would you please stand now for the reading of the Word of God? Felt good just for a moment. Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 31. This is the Word of God. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every uh, bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And now you can sit for a while. Well, we are in our series called The Reason Why. We're looking at Genesis 1 through 3. The reason, obviously, we're calling it The Reason Why is because we believe in those first three chapters of Genesis that you are going to learn the reason why for about the most important things that are in this world or in your life. Uh, This week being uh, especially the case. Last week, uh, we saw the work of the Holy Spirit, and we saw that the the reason why we can have confidence that God will finish what he starts through the Holy Spirit, because we saw that he was present, that he applies the word, and that he always brings it to completion. This week, we're going to ask the, the question, the reason why, and we're going to talk about this topic called worldview. Worldview is, is how we see reality, how we understand the world. And I think as we get into this subject, we recognize that there are many different viewpoints of the world. There are many different ways of looking at the world. A very popular viewpoint of, of, of what the world is or, or the reality, the foundation of the world, comes to us from the philosophy called naturalism, the viewpoint that Everything in this world can be uh, explained through natural cause and effect. That there is no need to posit a supernatural. That everything can be explained through nature. The problem with naturalism, as we have experienced it for the last uh, two centuries now, is that it doesn't seem to explain everything. And in its insistence that everything came out of materials and that there is nothing more than material reality, it has a hard time overcoming meaninglessness, overcoming the fact that if we came from nothing, if we came from something without purpose, if we came from accident, that anything rises to having real purpose, real value, real meaning. I think this world is is infused with a, a skeptical spirit as we try and figure out what is something that I can really put my life upon and I can really stand upon, can I really find a foundation? I think one of the best commentators of, of the world viewpoint comes to us through comedians. I, I enjoy watching a comedian uh, uh, from time to time, and I'm discovering more and more that inside a lot of these comedians who seem to, to reflect the, the, the world view of, of, of naturalism, is that there's just a deep angst, a deep nothingness that is, that is underneath everything. There's a, a dread, a sorrow, that they don't have anything but the opportunity to laugh at things. There's nothing beyond that. All they can, all they can see is, if I can laugh at it, then maybe it's worth something. But that's the end of it. As we, as we look at ourselves, what can you stand on? What have you decided to make the foundation of your life? We have many uh, intelligent people here, and 
many of us have discovered that we can probably get through this life with good thinking, careful reasoning. And so reasoning and thinking become a, a popular foundation for uh, our lives. And for the most part, we, we see it work, but it doesn't always work. I remember when I was in classes in a, a math class, one of my professors, and I, I, I can't know who the person was, but it was an anecdote that my professor gave me, that there was this man whose, whose kind of life passion was to work out deeper and deeper and deeper digits of the never-ending number pi. You guys know pi, 3.14156, it goes on forever. I think at present we're up past a trillion digits, but never ends. Anyways, this guy's life passion was math. Why math? Math makes sense. Math works. Math goes forward. You can calculate and get to the next number and get to the next number. And so he relied on thinking. Thinking was his foundation, and he would work at working out the next digit, the next digit. Great labor, but so satisfying because once you've got that number, you've got it, right? Well, the tragedy was when his work was handed over to one of his friends towards the end of his life. He miscalculated really early. He got one of those digits in like the first 20 wrong. And every subsequent calculation from that point on is garbage. And so this man who who made his life, his foundation on thinking, found out that his thinking is not infallible. What a tragedy. Perhaps you have found emotions and, and finding happiness your foundation. Have you looked at uh, uh, some weddings recently, some, some, uh, some marriages that all got married because they just were in love and everything just made them happy? Uh, we recognize that feelings and pursuing happiness is not a reliable foundation. Uh, perhaps friends. Friends are our foundation. Well, I, I looked at my Facebook account recently, and I used to have a great group of friends called high school friends. I don't have any of them anymore. I used to have a great group of friends called college friends. I have one, maybe two of those at this point. I had a group of friends, uh, work friends in my engineering uh, career. Only one, two of them I stay in contact with. Even friends from seminary I'm losing contact with. So how stable of a foundation are our friendships? Look back the last 10 years. How many of them really go the distance? Perhaps you put your your foundation in job security and money. And for you, I would say look at the stock market. We can go on and on like this. But I think there is a, a clear case that there is not a foundation that we can build our life on, that we can stand on, that we can be absolutely confident in this world. And that is what Genesis 1 wants to do. It wants to direct us away from putting our confidence in some foundation in this world to putting our confidence in the only thing that is truly dependable, that can truly be a foundation. Genesis 1 points us to making God's word our foundation. This was the need for Israel, who was the original audience of Genesis. Israel had just come out of Egypt into the Exodus They needed to know what is the foundation because they have just seen themselves live under slavery. They have just seen the power of the Egyptians. They are about to go into Canaan where there's going to be all kinds of worldviews. And so they need to know what is the worldview that we really do depend on. What is the foundation that keeps us 
going forward. And so God gives them Genesis 1 to show, first and foremost, that God's word is the foundation. And the tr- same is true for us. When we have God's word as our foundation, it is our only hope that we will be, not be tossed to and fro by worldly wisdom. And so as we get into this sermon today, let me ask you at the top, where is the word in your life? Is the word of God your foundation? I I expect every single one of us in this room loves the word of God, believes the word of God. But how many of us make the word of God our foundation? It is the ground that we stand on. It is the lens that we see the world. It is not a source. It is the primary source, the ultimate authority in our life. Is that God's word for you? Because as we go through Genesis 1, we are going to see why our worldview must be grounded in God's word. We're going to see three reasons. The first reason is that the world exists by God's word. The world exists by God's word. As we look at Genesis chapter 1, in detail, we've, we've looked at verses 1 and 2, and verses 1 and 2 set up the, the, uh, the, the initial creation, the material creation in Genesis 1, and then Genesis 1-2 tells us about these initial conditions of, of formless and emptiness and darkness and wateriness. And then as we get into the creation week, each of those initial conditions are being addressed. We saw a slide last week that, that showed us how this works. Can we see that slide? Next slide. Right there. So we have those initial conditions of darkness, watery, formlessness, and emptiness. And then as we go through the creation week, days one through six, we see each one of those is being addressed. And it's concluded by the words, good, 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 and good. As we look at these days uh, of creation, we see that they have been carefully patterned. Uh, They have five elements that show up in the majority of these days, not always in the same order. Day one is kind of the the, the prototype, the paradigm. Let me read it to us again. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So as we look at that day, we see these five elements. The first is this command from God. Another word for that is, is a fiat, a fiat from God, where, and God said, and then we get what God said. In this case, let there be light. And then the second element is the response. What happens when God says something? And the response is right there in, in day one, and there was light. That's the response. The third element that we see is, is this act of either naming or blessing. The first three days, uh, God is naming things. The last three days, he is blessing things, but those kind of sit in the same place. The fourth element then that we see is is evaluation. God sees what his word has said. God God, uh, uh, sees that it was so, and then he evaluates it by saying, and it was good. And then the fifth element of the refrain is that phrase, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So as we we understand the, the, the kind of the structure of this, We have to note that the creation, all of this creation, is by God's word. 
It is God's word that is creating all the way through. There are ten commandments, ten of these fiats. Eight of them are direct. They are direct to the object. Two of them are indirect. Uh, Twice God will speak to the earth to do something. However, every single one of these commandments are perfectly effective, whether direct or indirect. They all end with the response, and it was so. Day one lets us see how absolutely authoritative God's creation power by his word is. Because we read, and God said, let there be light. And the response is, and there was light. The, the, the effectiveness of God's word is absolutely unmediated. In a creation that doesn't have light yet, God's word says, let there be light. And the creation, which doesn't even know what light is until those words have been spoken, says, here's light. That is how God's word creates. It is absolute. Genesis 1 shows us that when we are talking about God's word, the word that created the heavens and the earth, we are talking about something with absolute authority and power. It has the right to say anything, and it has the power to make whatever it says come true. That is the power of God's word. This is told to us in Psalm chapter 33, beautifully in verses 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The authority of God's word is complete. It's all-powerful. The attributes of God's word are divine. In fact, it is the recognition of the authority and the power of the word of God that caused the apostle John in his reading of Genesis 1 to recognize something very profound. The word of God is not an impersonal force. The word of God, we are told in the first verses of John's gospel, is this. In the beginning was the word. No controversy there. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is revealing to us that hidden in this word, and God said, is the second person of the Trinity. That the Son of God is found in Genesis 1 in God's word. And so when we look at Genesis 1, we don't even get past verse 3 before we recognize that creation is a work of the Trinity. Verse 1, God created. Verse 2, the Spirit of God hovers over the water. Verse 3, the word of God said. Pretty amazing. 
that the word of God from page one all the way to the end has contained this truth. It took the New Testament to discover it, but nonetheless, it is there. What we must recognize then is that God's word is more permanent than reality itself. Everything in this world that you think cannot pass away will pass away before God's word passes away. It is the most permanent, completely permanent. All of reality depends on God's word. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus wants you to know that everything that you depend on as real is less real than God's word. It is contingent upon God's word making it and keeping it. That is where God's word belongs. It's at the bottom of everything. It's foundational. Now, here's what's important for us. Genesis 1 is not just for us to marvel at the power of God's word in creation. Genesis 1 wants us to make this clear connection. Scripture, our Bibles, are God's word. And the same authority and the same power that God's word demonstrates in creation, he accomplishes through his scripture. There is no diminishment in God's word. And so, as we recognize, God's world is made through God's word. Then the the, the conclusion is obvious. Scripture is the lens by which we look at and understand and make sense of the world. Everything else is fallible. Only God's word provides an infallible lens and understanding of the world that we live in. Is this your foundation? Is this your lens? Is the the truth of scripture truth? Or is it something that you take under advisement? Is it something that you weigh against other options? Is it something that you put away for your own wisdom and reason? Is it the foundation of your existence? And that is what Genesis 1 wants to impress upon you. And more than just existence... We see that the world is second loved by God's word. As we look at the second reason our worldview must be grounded in God's word, it is that the world is loved by God's word. God's creating has two aspects uh, in in Genesis 1. There there is the material creation aspect. That one we, we make sense of fairly easily. Uh, God creates light. Light didn't exist. God creates light. It does exist. So there is a 
material creation aspect. But in the biblical worldview, there is a second aspect to creation, and that is what we call functional creation. Uh, material creation speaks of the physical, the properties, uh, the elements, all of those sorts of things. Often we'll see the uh, Hebrew word uh, bara there. We looked at bara in Genesis 1.1. But functional creation is, is also there, and it, it's uh, in those words uh, God separated or, the defini- or defining or naming parts of his creation. Now here's what's important to grasp. In Genesis 1, creation is material creation plus functional creation. God's creation involves both aspects. And so often, it is not until the functional creation is completed that God calls it created. Here's what I want you to see. Look at day three. Day three is where we get the seas, the seas and the dry land. All right, so what God does in day three is he causes the the dry land to emerge and to appear and the waters to be gathered together. And then he calls the waters seas. But here's the thing. The waters that are those seas, when were they created? They're created in verse 2. Or at least they're, they're spoken of in verse 2. Genesis 1, 2, and waters were over, the fa- and the Spirit was over the face of the waters. It is those waters that are gathered into seas. So materially, the waters are there before day 3. But functionally, they are not defined, they are not named, they are not given their purpose until day 3, when they're called seas. So it is material creation plus their functional creation brought together that finishes God's work of creation on the waters when they're called seas. Now, I think that's an interesting insight, and I am uh, not sure about this, but it is, a per, it is a possibility based on that, that as we look at day four, the heavens, the moon, and the stars, I know some people have always struggled with How how can the the heavens be created after the earth and and such? It is possible that understanding the difference between material creation and functional creation, that what happens on day four is the functional creation of the sun, moon, and stars. Because as you read in verse 1-1, the heavens are materially created. Just a possibility. It's for you to investigate and decide, does that help or not? All right? But as we look at functional creation, we are seeing that God gives value to what he creates. And this is where we find Genesis at such odds with naturalism. You see, in functional creation, is just as important as material creation to God. God doesn't want something just to materially exist. He wants it to purposefully exist. And so that's what we see in the, in the act of, of naming, for example. What happens when when we're named, when something has a name? I mean, it's given an identity, right? God has given identity to what he has created when he gives it a name. It is something. It's not just waters. It's a sea. 
When something is, is named, what else is involved? Personal knowledge. God names something. He is saying, I know you personally. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26. An astounding thing as we, as we recognize how many stars there are. God tells Isaiah, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. We are told that all the starry host is known and named by God. Oh, that's, that's amazing. But that means that God has personal knowledge of what he creates. And when he names, what else is involved? Purpose. Purpose is involved in naming. You can see this clearly in in Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, where God is speaking to Abraham. He says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. The name Abraham literally means father of nations. That is what God names Abraham so that he knows in his name the purpose of his existence. When we go to Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, we are told that our Savior is to be named Jesus. Why? Why is Jesus the name of our Savior? Yes, because verse 21 says he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name literally means the Lord is salvation. So everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, the Lord is salvation, is saved. That is the purpose of Jesus' coming, to save his people from their sins. And so when we see God naming things in Genesis 1, we are seeing him giving identity demonstrating personal knowledge and infusing his creation with purpose. And so Genesis 1 counters this naturalistic view of origins that says it's all materials and nothing more by telling us clearly every molecule of creation is created with purpose. And how much more true is that of every person? This is the conflict between Genesis 1 and naturalism. Genesis 1 stands on this promise. You are created with purpose. And we all know in our hearts that's true. Now there's even more. There's blessing. After day three, blessing replaces God's act of naming. We see the fish and the birds are blessed. We see mankind blessed. And we see the Sabbath day blessed. In blessing, God reveals his loving benevolence toward his creation. What does a blessing mean? What is blessed indicates favor. You have my favor. That's what it means to give a blessing. 
you have my favor. Second, a blessing is a, is a gift. It's something that you are giving. It, 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 it reveals a graciousness. The gift, in this case, is the blessing to procreate, to be fruitful and multiply. Now, I think that gift is given, obviously, to, to perpetuate creation. That's part of it. But that's a beautiful gift. Because what has God done in Genesis 1 up to this point? He's been creating. And he's been delighting in creating by saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. And so when it comes to giving a blessing, the first blessing he gives is, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to experience the joy of creating, of having children. He is sharing the supreme joy that he has demonstrated of himself in Genesis 1 by now investing his creatures with that blessing. It's a gift. And finally, blessing involves commitment. God's not a fickle blesser. He blesses and he continues to bless. The fact that he blesses his creation reveals a commitment to keep it, to preserve it, and sustain it. This means that his word needs to be our foundation for the sake of experiencing his blessing and his love. The blessed life is the life that is grounded in the word. The life that knows God's love most is the life that is filled with God's word. Oh, this is painfully needed. Do you know that today is Sanctity of Life Sunday? This is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Many churches are focused on the sanctity of life today. And why? Why do we make a yearly focus on the sanctity of life? Because we have shown what happens when our wisdom is replaced from God's word and becomes our own. We live in a world, we live in a world that abortion calls a curse what God calls a blessing. It is important that we as the people of God show the foundation of God by living out the blessingness of living out God's word to give a witness to a world that is so clearly losing its way that it can even lose track of the first foundational blessing of being fruitful. His word of blessing shows that God's disposition is for our good, that it is for us to experience his love and joy, and that it's to know his approval. And it's that last piece, that last aspect, that becomes the third reason our worldview must be grounded in God's word. Because the world is judged by God's word. The world is judged by God's word. 
In Genesis 1, we have seven statements, and it was good. And God saw what he created, and it was good. Each of these are made after God has inspected, after he saw what he created. And so what he is doing when he is saying it is good is he is recognizing that the creation has perfectly obeyed the command of God. And because the creation has obeyed God's word, it gets declared good. Pretty foundational. Pretty basic. But the word good is God's judgment. That's a judgment word. And what does he do in verse 31? We're throwing an extra little word into this phrase. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He throws in the word behold. What does behold do? It says, look with me. Look and see what I see to be good. Behold is telling us, his image bearers, to see it as God sees it. That is the call of us. If we're going to bear his image, we need to agree. (laughs) What he sees as good is what we see as good. Behold is 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 a command to delight in the word being obeyed. Look at how beautiful is the obedience of the creation to the word. This is a fundamental command that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 12. This is what we need now that our minds have been darkened. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, as we have fallen away from this, Paul says, now that you are in Christ, you need to commit yourself to beholding God's word so that your mind can be renewed, so that you can see as God sees, so that you can see what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is the the daily call of us as disciples. Now, when we look at this word, the the world is judged by God's word. We struggle with that. That's not a good proposition. I I really like the world exists and, and the world is loved, but if we're honest, there's a bit of a hiccup with, oh, Nathan brought up judgment again. But I want you to see something in that, In that hiccup, our fallenness is revealed in how we respond to the word judge. You see, in Genesis 1, the act of being judged was the act of being approved. It was beautiful. The creation loved God's judgment because God's judgment was, it's good. It is only when we have departed from faithfulness to God's word, that judgment becomes terrifying, that we have fear and dread and avoidance. 
When we hear judge, we have shame and guilt come to our mind. There's only one reason we feel this. It's because we are not where we were in Genesis 1. We have become sinners. And what is sin? Sin is powerfully defined for us right here in Genesis 1. Sin is replacing God's judgment of good with our own. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. We have heard good, good, good from the mouth of God. We've been told, behold, see it as I see it. And then we have this one commandment, do not eat from this tree. And in verse 6 of chapter 3, we see, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's the definition of sin. The definition of sin is the hubris that says, I can make up my own truth. I can figure out right and wrong all by myself. I will take what I see as good and make it good, regardless of what God's word says. It is this and nothing less. When we choose what is right and wrong, we have put ourselves in the position of God because we have become the judge. And that is why sin is gross idolatry no matter how small the actual act is. You have the assumption that you know better than God when you sin. And what is the consequence Genesis 1, the word creates a good world. Genesis 3, the world is disobeyed. The word is disobeyed. What happens? The world falls apart. It is because we have disobeyed the word that we live under God's judgment and fear it. But my friends, we can still praise God. We must praise God. Because the word that judges also saves. Go back to John. He tells us that this word who was created in John verse, chapter 1 verse 14, we are told the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We are told that the word who created all things who made all things good, has come into history, has borne flesh. We are told in this scripture that the word of power who can say, let there be light, and light must come into existence to obey, who has absolute power and absolute authority, came into this creation who has sinned and disobeyed and rebelled. And you know what he did? That all-powerful word cried, I thirst to purchase you, to pay for your sins, 
the one who made the creation, parched himself and made himself hang helplessly upon a cross and did not save himself, though with a word he could, so that in his death there could be new blessing. How amazing that the word who created all things because he endured the shame of the cross, we now have Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here is the truth for you today who deal with your guilt and shame. The word of Christ that says, I forgive you, is as powerful and as authoritative as the words, let there be light. Call upon the name of the Lord and the words, you are forgiven, is permanently established to your account. This is the good news. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? So we see that the world exists by God's word, that the world is loved by God's word, and that the world is judged by God's word. I leave with this question. What is your foundation? What are you standing upon? I conclude with this famous parable from our Lord and Savior. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Found yourself upon the Amen.